Amen. That's a good word this morning. I love the story that Chase just talked about. And my favorite part in that whole scripture is as she pressed through the crowd, she got to Jesus. And then he turned and he looked and he said, who touched me? Everybody's like, well, everybody's reaching out for you. But he said, he got to her and he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And I love that Jesus is, he's no respecter of persons. He didn't discriminate. Here's this dirty individual, this lady who had been called unclean, who had had this issue of blood for so long, and Jesus called her daughter. The one thing she needed to hear, he knows your name, he knows who you are, he knows what you need this morning, man. Thank you, Chase, that was some incredible worship this morning. My name's JC, if you're new here, uh, welcome, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, I am the uh, college and student pastor around here, and uh, I'm just excited uh, to be with you this morning. We're from Ringgold, Georgia, up north, and uh, almost as far north in Georgia as you can go. And uh, man, I'm glad to be in Statesboro here today. If you have your Bibles, you can take and open up to the book of Acts. Chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning for a few moments. And uh, I have what the doctors call attention deficit, what was that disorder, so I'm good until I see something shiny and then I'm messed up. Um, so if I get distracted, just stay with me. We'll get back in, in, I promise it'll happen. It'll get back there. I don't know where we're going this morning. Um, just kidding, don't you love when preachers say that? And like, I'm just gonna talk for an hour so you listen. Um, I'm kidding, I know where we're going. It's gonna be short and sweet because I get bored, I quit. Um, so, so this morning, I just wanna talk for a little bit in Acts chapter seven, as we are in this series called Opportunity and Opposition, and thinking about an opportunity that we have to advance the kingdom. Do you understand that God has called us here for such a time as this? And I believe there is a historical precedence. The fact that we're not sitting in Zoom, some of you are, and welcome to those that are watching online. Some of you are sitting in the auditorium this morning. But no matter what 2020 has brought at us, you can't stop the church from advancing forward. Because the church is not this building. The ch yeah, come on, that's good stuff. Here's the deal. The church is here. The church is where you're watching. The church is us, the body of Christ. And we're called to advance his kingdom. And this morning, if there's two words that I could throw at us that would be the overarching theme for this entire message, it's live sent. What does that mean, to live sent? To live with purpose and passion on mission to proclaim some good news. If there's one of the myths that I believe that happen in every church is that this thing around calling, that I have to be called to be a pastor, to work at church, and if I don't do that, I'm not necessarily called to share the good news. Well, God expects you to share the good news. He tells us in Matthew 4, 19, he says that when you say yes to Jesus, you become a fisher of people. You are to catch people. You're to extend the good news of the gospel. So the question is no longer if you're called, it's only where and how and when will you take the good news of the gospel. You see, Jesus' plan for reaching the world is not necessarily, I believe, gathering just in large groups to hear one great speaker or communicator, it is us, the church, ordinary people, rising up in the power of the Holy Spirit and being sent out to do the work that he has called us to do. And this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're gonna look at the life of a man by the name of Stephen. 
And Stephen had some things that were in his life, some core beliefs, if you will, that I believe as followers of Christ, we can apply to our lives and live sin. If you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, maybe you're here this morning and you're checking this whole God thing out, and I'm glad that you're here because you're gonna hear from the life of Stephen how the gospel can radically change your life and leave you completely different. Listen, one encounter with a holy God will do more for you than a thousand sermons ever will. One encounter with God will leave your life changed. And I'm praying that this morning, some of you sitting in this room, sitting at home on your couch, watching on your phone in bed or on the to- wherever you're at, um, guilty. Uh, it's awkward. I'm praying that you have an encounter with a holy God. Today, we're gonna talk about an ordinary guy in Acts who literally changed the world. His name is Stephen, and I love that he was not an apostle. He was just an ordinary dude. He was a man's man, he was just a guy that wasn't an apostle. This guy was a waiter of tables. Jordan, just to recap what we talked about last week in Acts chapter six, up until this moment, you see that the gospel had yet to get out of Jerusalem. The the apostles were gathering, They were singing kumbaya, giving each other Christian shoulder rubs and singing I can only imagine in Spanish to each other. Like they were just hanging out. That's all they were doing. They they didn't speak Spanish back then, by the way. Um, Maybe they did, but the apostles did. What am I talking about? Um, Up until this point, they're just gathering. They're huddling. It's kind of like a football team calling a play, breaking huddle, and then going and waiting until they call another play. That's kind of what the apostles are doing. They're just gathering and talking. The gospel had not left. Jerusalem, which is what it was told to do. So in chapter six, Stephen gets selected to help deliver food to the widows. And we talked about this last week, that he wasn't an elder selected. He wasn't uh, writing any books. He wasn't considered to be a theological leader of that day. He was just a waiter of tables. He hated Sundays because Christians don't tithe. And so I was a waiter, I hated Sundays. Come on people, we can tithe better what we do. That's a whole different sermon, but I just figured I'd let you know that today. Go tithe today and don't leave a track unless there's a 20 in it, okay? Um, I don't know where that came from. Acts 6, 7, it tells us that he did his job so well and his witness was so full of the spirit and compelling that it got the attention of the community. And in this community, Jewish leaders were coming to faith in Jesus which got the attention of the Sanhedrin who begins to discredit Stephen. Acts 6, verse 10, uh, they said that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit of which this ordinary layman was talking. So in Acts 7, they bring him before the Jewish council and they proceed to give the longest recorded, least seeker-friendly sermon in all of scripture, and I'm skipping that part of chapter 7. Pretty much what it talks about is that you Jews killed all the other prophets, that's why you killed Jesus. And then we get to this portion of scripture in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, that takes it to a whole nother level. Acts chapter seven, verse 54 says this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 
I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57 reminds me of my six children that I have, and they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They're throwing a temper right here. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you just catch this? This is the first time the gospel gets ready to leave Jerusalem. And we have to let this sink in that he is proclaiming the good news. People are starting to go out from here and they proclaim good news and not one apostle. Luke tells us that not one apostle was included in the gospel leaving. I believe that Stephen's story gives us an example to how the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Stephen, in this picture, is an ordinary Christian, and he is. this is what the church should look like. He's just an ordinary dude serving tables, But in this moment, he gets the attention of the Sanhedrin to where they are taking his life because he is proclaiming the gospel with his life, with his words, with his action. We are called to live sent on mission, to be the hands, to be the feet of Jesus. And I believe that Stephen had some core values in his life that I just wanna kind of throw at us today. And maybe we could start applying to our life And if we got this understanding, we could see the gospel continue to spread to our families, to our city, to our schools, to our state, to our nation. There's enough people sitting in this room and watching online right now that if we applied the core values that Stephen applied to his life, that if we really understood that we can live sent on mission, we could radically change the area around us. Here's core belief number one, simple. God can and will use me. Historically, ordinary believers like Stephen have always been the tip of the gospel spear, if you will. If you go back and study how the gospel traveled around the world, it went faster on the wings of business than necessarily those that were preaching it. The story in Acts chapter 11 of the church of Antioch and how it was founded, I love what it says. It says, some brothers moved to Antioch and the hand of the Lord was on them. (laughs) Their names aren't even listed in scripture, they're just them in scripture. These guys are kind of insignificant to the fact that we don't even know their name, they're just them in scripture. But they did something absolutely incredible. Ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things. What I love about this is these guys were just some dudes that God used, but what I love about this is that God used them to start the church. I have some friends in the country of Moldova. Moldova is right in the middle of Ukraine and Romania. It's actually the poorest country in Europe, and I've got some great friends that are up there. They've opened up a building in the fourth fourth floor, excuse me, third floor of a four-story building. One of the floors is literally see-through. It's like an old Soviet building, but they have turned that into a community center. It's a place where they invite the community to come. They do They teach dance lessons, they teach English classes, and then they have a Bible study. 
And they've been doing this about seven, eight years now, and it's unbelievable how many people they've won to Jesus just by having a community center. It's not a church, they're not pastors. They're just ordinary people that God is using to bring revival to the country of Moldova. I love how God uses ordinary people, businessmen, businessmen and businesswomen, not just pastors that have a title after their name. All of us living sin on mission. I look at our elders here at Connection Church. These are men that God is using in great ways and what we have here is a chemistry teacher, a dentist, an insurance salesman, a federal law enforcement, uh, a marketing president of a bank and Bruce. And God uses us to, <laughs> he's not here, so I can talk. is he here? He's not here, good, Bruce. Um, <laughs> I love our elders, because God's using them. They get it. They're ordinary men that God's using in great ways. God uses you in some phenomenal ways. I think of Connor Smith. That's not her last name now. She got married yesterday. What's her last name now? Somebody help me out. What's Connor's last name now? Murray, Connor Murray. She just got married yesterday. I'm still new, don't know her. Um, Connor had a desire to go down to Butler Homes and just start pouring her love out to these people down there. Man, that's living scent on mission. I think about so many people that God uses to do extraordinary things. Here's what I'm trying to say. Whatever God makes you good at, do it well for the glory of God. There's a book that I've read years ago. It's by a monk. His name is Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a monk. He practiced the presence of God every day in his life. And I love that this book goes on to tell us that he cleaned dishes and swept the floor his entire earthly ministry. He wasn't one that would stand up and pontificate on esoteric theories to the point that nobody had a clue what he was talking about. He wasn't one that would preach. He didn't write any literature. He cleaned dishes and he swept the floor. Brother Lawrence is quoted saying, if I can clean dishes and sweep the floor to the glory of God, I know that God will be satisfied. That's the kind of life I wanna live. No matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm at, I wanna do it for the glory of God to bring honor and praise to him. And that's what God is calling us to do. Understand that God can and will use me. I don't know what you've walked into this room with this morning. I don't know many of you at all. I don't know your story, I don't know your past, I don't know your present, but I can tell you this, God knows you. God loves you, and God wants to use you. He has a plan for your life. That's a core belief, church, that we gotta get to the innermost parts of who we are. God can, and God will use me. Look at the second thing, our confidence is found in the Holy Spirit in our lives. What makes Stephen remarkable is his confidence. It's his confidence in the Holy Spirit in his life. What gives ordinary people extraordinary confidence and effectiveness is the knowledge of the Spirit in his life. All believers have the Spirit of Jesus. What gives us confidence is the knowledge of that. It tells us in John 16, verse seven, that nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your, catch this, it is your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That, that kind of seems absurd, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, it's your advantage if I go away. I mean, these guys walked with Jesus for three years, and now he's saying, hey, it's to your advantage that I leave. 
Because there's a helper that's coming that's gonna be so much better, so much greater. He's telling us that if we understood who the Spirit was and what his potential was in our life, we would be excited to have him, even if Jesus left. We love Brandon. If Brandon left tomorrow, we'd be pretty sad. We'd be like, that gun, Brandon's gone. But what if Brandon was replaced by Jesus Christ himself? We'd be like, deuces, dude. Right? That's what he's saying here. Hey, I'm going away, but I'm sending you somebody that has so much power that if you could just tap into it and realize his power to use in your life, then you would understand this is for your advantage. God's plan to reach the world is ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit walking in obedience to him. You will have a collective greater impact than if Jesus had stayed. The disciples took the gospel and literally spread it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We gotta stop thinking about how incapable or unqualified we are because of a past decision, a present circumstance, and realize that God wants to set us free and use us. Don't you understand that because of the Holy Spirit in you, it's more about your availability than your ability? God's just asking for you to say, okay, yes. I love how the disciples, he got them. He just went to them and said, follow me. And they're like, all right, let's go. They dropped everything. They didn't ask for a lengthy sermon. They didn't ask for the terms and conditions that nobody reads and checks yes. They didn't ask for any of that stuff. He said, follow me. And they said, let's go. That's what he's asking for us today to live sent on mission. He doesn't say you gotta know every answer to all the questions. You gotta memorize the Bible. You gotta look and act and smell and talk. He said just, I want your availability that you'll do and be and go where I send you. The Holy Spirit can do more through one surrendered vessel than most talented and richest people in the world can accomplish on their own. And the Holy Spirit is still leading and guiding and calling us today. He's calling some of you today. You felt that itch. Man, God's will is practical, it's not mystical. He, I have people all the time like, how do I know if God really wants to use me in ministry, man? I'm like, God wants to use you right now. If you've said yes to him, he wants to use you. I was walking around uh, the mall, uh, the mall, good gosh, the hospital before COVID. I was doing some hospital visitations. That's not my favorite place in the world. And I'm walking past this room and this man comes running out. And he was like, she's all right. She's gonna be okay. And he like does a heel click. I didn't know who this guy was, but he had just received some good news. And some good news is worth sharing. And he didn't care who he shared that with. He was gonna find it. He found me in the hallway and shook me and I was like, high five, let's go, she's all right. Why? Because he just received some good news. Folks, we have the greatest news in all of the world. That is a God who loves, who heals and forgives and we can spread the incredible message of the gospel. So we have to understand that our confidence is found in the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. We are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Verse 59 might be my favorite part of the whole story because it gives us a window into Stephen's soul, showing us what he thinks about at this very moment of his death. Look at verse 59. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where have we heard that phrase before? Jesus, 
hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Stephen, in his dying moments, he is attempting to do for others what Jesus had done for him. Stephen, in this moment, he sees what it means to follow Jesus, to look at our life as a sacrifice for others like Jesus sacrificed himself. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. Here's my challenge this morning. Who is your one? Stephen, as he's standing in that moment, he's witnessing with his life. Stones are being hurled at him, literally taking his life. And he's thinking of others. Have we faced the fact that there's statistics say some 2.8 billion people that have never heard the gospel? Some of you are literally called to go to the nations. I think when we think being a missionary, living sent on mission, we think we have to go somewhere else. God calls us to live sent right here in the borough, right here, to be on mission because there's people in this town that don't know Jesus. Who's your one? I think sometimes when we hear a message like this, we think, man, it's too big. I gotta win my city or my school or my whole community or the people that I hang out with. Like, who's one? Who's one? I want you to get their face, their name in your head and begin to pray, God, if Think about it, just the amount of folks in this room watching online at the 11 o'clock service. If every one of us reached one, that, my friends, would be revival. That is a move of God. For some of you, you're gonna take this message and that means literally leaving here, moving somewhere to take the gospel. For others, part of your mission is given like crazy so others can go. For some, it's just to not be ashamed of the gospel. For others, it's to start living sent because here's the last core belief that I believe if we can get, it would radically change our lives. Jesus is worth it all. Jesus is worth it all. As they begin to hurl stones at Stephen, verse 56 tells us, behold, I saw the heavens open and the Son of Man was standing at the right hand of God. Everything that we read in scripture tells us Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, but here we see Jesus standing. And why is he standing? He's standing to welcome home a faithful servant. He's standing to welcome home a son, one who the world was an, said was an outcast, one who was just a waiter of tables, one who didn't necessarily look the part or act the part or talk the part that didn't have the social structure, but he gave his life for a cause. Jesus is standing to welcome home a good and faithful servant because Jesus is worth it all. Stephen looks up with face beaming. And I like to believe he didn't even feel the stones because he was looking at the face of Jesus. The only thing that will give you the power to live a life truly living sin is the conviction church that Jesus is worth it all. He's the only one who's worthy and for by his will, all things were created and by his blood we're redeemed and for his glory we now exist. Jesus is worth it all. Church, I'm gonna ask you this morning to not waste your life. 
We only have one life to live. What soon will be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. The year was 2000. I was a 17-year-old graduate from homeschool, higher education, and uh, getting ready to go into Tennessee Temple University to play baseball. And I went down to Memphis to a conference called Passion Conference with Louis Giglio. It was the very first one. There's thousands of young people sitting outside. Man, we had some horrible fashion back then, but I just said back then. I just felt, that was weird. I felt old just then. Um, anyhow, we're sitting on a hillside, and a man by the name of John Piper stands up, and he delivered one of the most impactful messages that to date has radically changed my life. And I want to play for you just a clip of a message from that Sunday, from that day, imploring us to not waste our life because Jesus is worth it all. Check this out. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart, you don't have to have good looks, you don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them, which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. And you don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church 
that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy, and there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord. 
my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Convicting. We have one life to live. Only what's done for Christ will last. So back years ago, I don't know if you remember seeing this picture. It captivated my attention. It's a picture of 21 Christians in orange jumpsuits kneeling on a beach with ISIS members standing behind them as their life was being ready to be taken. I'll never forget this picture, this image, and then the story that followed it as these 21 Christians said that their life could be spared. These were guys that were just contractors from Egypt and they were in Libya, I believe, and they were just working when they were kidnapped. And they were taken and put on this beach and had their executioner standing behind them and said, we will give you your life if you will renounce Jesus Christ. And one by one, they said no. And in that picture of 20 Egyptian men, there's one African-American young man from the country of Ghana. His name is Matthew. Matthew is there with them. The story has been told of Matthew's life. He was not a follower of Jesus until he met these 20 Egyptian Coptic Christians. But their testimony, just men that were working to make a living for their family back home, were captivated and are now considered martyrs in their country. When the executioner came to Matthew, he said, renounce Jesus Christ, you'll be spared. Matthew said five words on the beach that day. Their God is my God. Their story, their testimony, the way that these 20 men live sin spoke so loud to this young man that he died with them on the beach. His body about five years later was just buried with these men in their country. And I say all that to think about Stephen as he's being executed. The passage tells us that there is one young man by the name of Saul, that everybody's taking their cloaks off and putting it at the feet of this cloak bearer, a young dude watching Stephen be stoned to death. If you know anything about scripture, you know just a few chapters later in Acts 9, Saul has an encounter on the road to Damascus. He bumps into God and his life is radically changed and his name is changed from Saul to Paul, who goes on to write a good majority of the New Testament. Takes the gospel and just blows it up but he watched Stephen be martyred. He watched Stephen, his life be snuffed out, but he watched how he died. He watched his faith. He watched how he lived. You know he had to see the rumblings of people talking and was watching this because it says right here that Saul approved the killing of Stephen. 
And I think about the story of the 20 Egyptians and their testimony to this young man from Ghana and how he gave his life because of their faith. I think about Stephen and how Stephen was executed and stoned and then Saul takes the gospel and just continues to advance the kingdom. And I say, God, who is my Matthew? Who is my one? Who is the one that is watching how I live my life? Not just what I say, but how I live. Church, are we living in such a way that folks just don't have a knowledge that we're a follower of Jesus because we show up to a building or we flip on an online service and share it to our social media? But is our life living sent? Are we being evangelist with the word? We have the most incredible news. If one of you sitting in this room this morning discovered the cure for COVID-19, you wouldn't text a few friends and be like, hey, figured it out, we're safe. Yes. You would tell everybody. You would share that everywhere. This is the cure, it's gone, no more. We have incredible news because our souls are wretched and desperately dying without Jesus. And we have the most incredible news that there is a God who loves you despite your past and your present. He wants to give you an incredible future. Who is your one today, church? Who is the one person you can leave this building, you can get up off your couch, and you can start living sin in front of? There's another side of this, and maybe you're here today in this room watching online, and the power of the gospel has never changed your life. You've heard the stories, you listen to the messages, you sing the songs, but it's never changed your life. Can I tell you the gospel this morning is for you? Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, why? For you to bring glory to the Father so that we through him could have eternal life. I think of Jesus as he hung on the cross that day. And I realize as I look at Jesus, man, I can't, I can't look at that without realizing that there are thoughts that I have in my mind that aren't good, that aren't holy, that aren't pure at times. And Jesus wants you to know this morning, church, that they took a crown of thorns and they beat it into his skull. Blood flowed from his head that day. Man, you know what? There are things that we can't face up to because of what we've seen, what we've heard. The Bible tells us they took their fist and they beat the face of Jesus. The Bible says he was reduced to not even the resemblance of a man. Blood flowed from his face and his back. They took a whip and they beat his back. How many times have we turned our back on him? We've walked away from him. Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Man, I don't get this life. I'm done. I can't do it no more. And Jesus, he wants you to know that blood flowed from his back and his side. They took a spear and they jammed it through his side and blood flowed from his side. And you know what? There are feelings that we have of hate, of bitterness, of rage. Maybe it's the anxiety that is just knotting up in us. And he wants you to know this morning, church, that blood flowed from his side. Hands 
are things that these hands have done that I'm ashamed of, things that these hands have done that I wonder, man, I don't want anybody to see. You can look at your hands and think of some things and opportunities that you wish you wouldn't have gone down, just some stuff our hands have done. And Jesus laid on the cross. They pierced him through the hands to the cross and blood flowed from his hands, our feet. And we've all been in situations we ought not to have been in. We feel unqualified or unworthy because of the places our feet have taken us. They pinned Jesus through the feet to the cross. And I look at Jesus hanging on the cross and I realize the thoughts that I have that aren't right, that aren't good, the things that I can't face up to because of what I've seen and what I've heard, the times I've turned my back on him and I've walked away, the feelings of hate and bitterness and rage and anxiety that I have inside of me, the things that I've done with my hands, the places I've gone with my feet are covered by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not coming to church enough, not memorizing enough scripture, not doing enough good stuff. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can wash away our sins, past, present, and future. And I don't care who you are in this room this morning, who you are watching online, Jesus knows you. And he died for you. And I think when we remember that, when we get to that place where a holy God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, man, it fires us up to go and to share the good news of the gospel because God just doesn't kinda love us or merely love us, God so loves us. And we have that incredible news to share. How bad, I, I was challenged by this years ago. My pastor said, how bad do you have to hate somebody to not share life-changing message with them? We have good news to share. And my hope, Connection Church, is that we will take the good news of the gospel, that a God who loved and justice and mercy that could not look over our rejection and our rebellion, but who loves us so much that he will not leave us helpless and hopeless. And that's why he stepped into history to live a perfect life, to die a criminal's death, to be buried, but to rise again so that we could have a relationship with him. Maybe today some of you listen and you need to give Jesus the searing will of your life. You need to say yes to him. The power of the gospel has not changed your life because you've never said yes to him. And today is your day of salvation. You say, you know what? Today I'm giving Jesus the steering wheel of my life. For those of us that have given Jesus the steering wheel of, the, of our lives, maybe today we leave here different because we're thinking, who is our one? Who's that one person that I wanna see come to faith in Jesus? I wanna invite you to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I wanna invite you to draw an imaginary circle around yourself. There's nobody inside of that circle right now but you, me, and God. Right there at your house, sitting on the couch, draw an imaginary circle around yourself. And inside of this circle right now, I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, has the gospel ever changed my life? Have I ever said yes to King Jesus? Have I ever given him the steering wheel of my life? If your answer to that question is no, today 
could be the day of salvation. We have some folks that are sitting in this room, if you're here, that would love to talk with you. There's some folks that if you are sitting at home and you say, you know what, I need a relationship with Jesus, you can go to connection.church and send us an email and say, hey, I said yes to Jesus today. We'll get you some resources. Maybe if you're in this room and you say, you know what, with every head bowed and every eye closed, somebody's looking around, you say, JC, man, that's me. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus today. If you just shoot your hand straight up, we got some folks that will come to you. They've got some things for you. And we'll say, hey, here's some tools that we can give you to help begin walking this new relationship with him. You can do that at any moment. They're ready for you. And they would love to take God's word and show you how you can continue to grow in that. Maybe as you're searching your heart this morning, you say, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. I've given Jesus the steering wheel of my life. I need to live sent on mission. I want you to put the face and the name of that one person in your mind right now. And I'm gonna pray, and I wanna invite you to just sit and listen. Sit and pray. Sit and ask God to give you opportunities this week to live sin at school, at work, at the board meeting, in line at the grocery store, at court, wherever you're at this week. God would give you that opportunity to share the most incredible, life-changing news. Father, I love you. God, I thank you this morning for the life of Stephen. I thank you this morning for the life of this man who didn't just start well, but he finished strong. And God, I pray for all of us sitting in this room this morning that's watching online. Father, that we will have such a burden and a passion to share life-changing news with those that are around us. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, complete strangers. God, that we will not just sit in a room and listen to a message, but we will leave different and live sent on mission, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. God, I thank you for the one that's sitting in this room this morning that said yes to you today. They gave you the steering wheel of their life. They are following you. I pray they let us know so we can celebrate with them because heaven is throwing a big old party right now. God, for all of us in this room that have said yes to you, that are living on mission, I pray that you send us out May what we do in here fill the streets out there. Bring revival to the borough. Bring revival to our schools, to our university. God, bring a real change, an awakening, and let it start right here in Statesboro, Georgia, because your church is spreading the good news of the gospel. Father, we love you. Send us out to let you be made known. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stay seated and just listen to the words of this song as a declaration to the message.